Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God that contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Welcome back to Know Your Bible. Glad you've joined us today and uh, ready to study the Bible with us. We uh, got a lot of questions coming from our viewers, and we try to answer as many as we can each week, and that's what we do on this program. You'll notice a phone number and a website on the screen. You can use those anytime. Let us know what you're interested in us talking about, and that's what we'll do, and we'll try to answer some of those questions. Toby Levering's here. Good morning, Toby. Hi, Steve. Glad you're here and studied up and ready to go. I'm Steve Tandy, and we're going to try to uh, answer. we got some good ones today, as we always do, but we always start with one for our viewers. So here's your question for the day. Who was Adam's third son? Most of you probably know Cain and Abel were the first two. Who was the third boy? And we'll answer that at the end of the program, see if you knew that bit of Bible trivia. Okay, I've got a question about the divorce, or where does it say God hates divorce? Uh, somebody's saying, we get questions like this. Where's the verse on this? Uh, I've heard that the Bible says God hates divorce. Well, where do you find that? Well, you can find that in Malachi chapter 2 and verse 16. And let's put that on the screen. Uh, and it says it just plain as day. God says, I hate divorce, says the Lord God of Israel. Now, you can read the context there and see what he's talking about, but that's pretty clear. Uh, God hates divorce. Now, it's not the only thing God hates. Uh, there are lots of lists in the Bible that say here's seven things God hates, and, uh, like lying and gossip and uh, all sorts of things that he hates. And I think it's important to understand when he says that, uh, it's because he understands the effects of those things. Uh, lying, he understands what problems that causes. Gossip, he understands how that can mess up a church, a family, a workplace. Gossip's a dangerous thing, and he hates the effects of gossip. Well, same thing he means about divorce. He hates the effects of divorce, and everybody does. Uh, the people that have been divorced hate the effect of it. Uh, we see how it hurts families and destroys relationships and messes things up. So divorce is not a good thing. Uh, sometimes it's necessary. Sometimes it's essential for somebody's safety or mental well-being. And we understand all that, but it still has bad effects. So when God says that, uh, it's just one of many things that he sees the effects of. In fact, you could broaden it out and say he hates sin because he knows the effects of sin. And uh, so Malachi 2.16 is where you can find that direct statement. All right. Uh, That's an easy one, Toby. Yeah. <laughs> A couple of minutes ought to do it. Explain the Trinity. My daughter is hearing <clears throat> different things from different people, okay? 
Well, I could understand the confusion, uh, even among people who study the Bible and know it. Uh, there is some confusion. The Trinity, the, the word Trinity is not a word you'll find in the Bible. Trinity is a human word, man-made word, uh, used to describe the concept that we have of God. And that's, that's hard to do. We're wrapping finite minds and trying to understand an infinite God. Uh, and so we're doing our best that we can with that. Uh, but it, it's using, it's, you know, Trinity three as one. Uh, that word is describing the concept that we understand of God. I uh, will say we do not fully understand the mystery of the Trinity or how it works, uh, but we have plenty of scriptural evidence for it. Uh, let's look at some of those verses. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, the very first mention of it, of God in plurality. Let us make man in our image. Okay, The Creator has a plural to him. Now, um, us... Who is that? Well, and we'll turn to Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 and following. The occasion is Jesus' baptism. Uh, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened. He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. So we have God the Father. We have Jesus, the Son. We have the Holy Spirit all together. Uh, all are by nature God, and yet they all have distinct uh, functions and, and take on different roles. Uh, the closest human example we give this from time to time is you have an apple. Within that apple, there's the stem, there's the seed, uh, there's the, the, the flesh of the apple. There are different parts of it, but it all forms one apple. But they're all, they're all different parts, and they have a different function in that. Now, that's not a, a perfect example, but that's the best um, human example that we can use to think of that. So the Trinity is real. Uh, there are three different parts of God, but they're all one. They all work together in harmony. There's no disagreement, and they all have a, uh, a different uh, function, and some of that uh, has not yet been fully revealed to us. Uh, let's finish by looking at Matthew 28:18 through 20. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of age. Uh, scripture is clear that there's God the Father and Jesus the Son and the Holy Spirit, and they're all as one, and yet they all have different roles. Uh, I hope that's helpful and will be useful to your daughter. Okay, thank you, Toby. Uh, interesting question here. Viewer wants to know, does the Church of Christ have any connection to Mormonism? Uh, you never mention the Book of Mormon. You only reference the Bible. Uh, well, we've never been asked that question before, and all I can imagine is that uh, the viewers looked at the names of the two groups, if you want to call it that, 
we are the churches of Christ that produce this program. The Northside Church of Christ in Wichita, Kansas uh, produces it and gets help from a lot of other churches of Christ. And we've answered lots of questions about who the churches of Christ are. But there's also a religious group called the Church of Jesus Christ of the Latter-day Saints. I think that's the full name for what we usually call the Mormon Church, uh, the Church of Jesus Christ of the Latter-day Saints. So if you take a few words out of there, you can see Church of Christ in some ways. So maybe that's what our viewers thought is, okay, sounds a little bit the same. Do you have any connection? No, we have no connection. Uh, the Mormon Church or the Church of Jesus Christ of the Latter-day Saints is a completely different uh, man-made organization. But I will say I'm glad that our viewer noticed the main difference, uh, and that's a good way to explain the difference, as our viewer said, you only talk about the Bible, you don't ever mention the Book of Mormon. Well, that's correct. Uh, the Churches of Christ base their beliefs on the Bible. We believe the Bible's all we need, we believe it's the full revelation of God, we believe it contains everything that pertains to life and godliness, as itself says. So we follow the Bible. We answer your questions from the Bible. Uh, the Mormon Church, or the Church of Jesus Christ of the Latter-day Saints, uh, claims to believe the Bible, but they also follow the Book of Mormon, which was written by a man named Joseph Smith back in the early 1800s. Uh, they follow a book he wrote, The Doctrine and Covenants, and they follow a book about the pearl of great price that he wrote. So they have a number of other documents or books written by a man uh, that they hold on equal or even greater esteem than the Bible. Uh, so that's how they run their uh, religion. Uh, we don't believe it's a true religion. We believe there's false teaching in those other books. Uh, we believe they use the Bible inaccurately many times. Uh, so, no, there's no connection. Churches of Christ follow the Bible. Uh, Mormon Church follows the Bible plus a few other things. So, so the main differences. Speaking of Bible study, <laughs> let's talk about a good way to study the Bible. And that's what we offer you as a way to study the Bible. And we've got courses that talk about the Bible. You can have them absolutely free. And that's all you'll study is the Bible. This is the first set of lessons here, and it starts explaining the Old Testament and the New Testament. Once you get through that series, you can go on to these other series, and we've got more coming pretty soon. But these are <clears throat> excellent ways to learn a lot about the Bible. So if you're interested in that, uh, becoming a little more knowledgeable about your Bible, either use the phone number or the website on the screen. Let us know you want that free course. It'll get started immediately, and uh, you'll see how you like it. If you don't like it, you can quit any time, but we think you'll like it and go on through all of them like most of our viewers do and our students. So give us a call or log on, and we'll get it started. All right, Toby, what's up next? Someone asked uh, to make a comparison of the books of Ecclesiastes and James. All right. I uh, do my best here. Uh, Ecclesiastes and the book of James are similar in that they are both what you would call wisdom literature about uh, they just give instruction about wise, godly living and what that looks like. Uh, beyond that, there's not many similarities. Ecclesiastes was written uh, about a thousand years before the book of James. And, uh, of course, it's a part of the Old Testament written by King Solomon. 
James, of course, written by uh, the half-brother, I guess, technically, of Jesus. And uh, he gives uh, lots of practical instruction on how Christians living under the new covenant of Christ uh, are to live and function in this world. And it's, uh, it's, it's a short book, but it is quite uh, direct in how Christians ought to live and how they ought to act. Um, Ecclesiastes was written near the end of Solomon's, King Solomon's life, uh, recounting uh, his life's experiences and his journey, journey to find meaning and purpose. And it, it can be, there's parts of it that's kind of depressing, uh, you know, meaningless, meaningless, uh, says the teacher. Uh, everything is chasing after the wind. There's nothing new under the sun. And so it, it, when you seek a, a purposeful life outside of God, it leads you to a conclusion that Solomon drew that, oh man, this there's not much to it if life isn't centered on God. Uh, James was written to Christian believers and many of those who had been scattered after the early church had been persecuted. And he was teaching them, remain in Christ, remain steadfast, seek godly wisdom and, and practice it wisely so that you live in such a way that honors the Lord. Uh, Ecclesiastes is a longer book, but it's, it leads up to a beautiful summary, and this will be on the screen. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commands, for this is the duty of all mankind. Well, I, I mean, uh, I think that's a good conclusion. We understand what our purpose is when we're made by God, uh, that we have a purpose, and that purpose is to obey God and to live as he wants us to live. <clears throat> James uh, has many pithy statements uh, for wise living uh, for people who follow the Lord Jesus. Uh, the emphasis is not merely on under, uh, knowing and, and understanding God's word, but on doing and putting into practice the things which you know are right. Uh, if there was a theme verse of James, it would be this, James chapter 1, verse 22, which says, Do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. So uh, they are very different books uh, written by very different authors, uh, but they are uh, have some similarities. Uh, but I think if Steve mentions the Bible correspondence course, signing up for that is important. will help you understand the difference in the Old Testament and the New Testament and what those characters were about. I hope that helps. All righty. Uh, viewer wants to know if there's an angel of death. Is there an angel of death? Well, uh we see a lot of cartoons with the, the Grim Reaper in it, uh, so maybe that's what people think of as the angel of death. And I imagine a lot of our viewers think there probably is an angel of death. It's pretty common belief. Uh, it's interesting, the Bible doesn't say anything about an angel of death. Uh, the Bible does have a few stories in it where angel killed people. Uh, back in the Old Testament, there's a story about a bunch of Assyrians that invaded Israel, and uh, one angel killed 185,000 of them, so I guess he was an angel of death, but he wasn't the angel of death. The Bible just doesn't talk about that concept. Uh, some people probably think, well, it was a, the death angel that went through Egypt and killed all the firstborn. Uh, that's a pretty common belief, too, but if you read Exodus chapter 12, where that happened, uh, that tenth plague, uh, it doesn't say an angel. Uh, the Lord says, I will pass over. I will kill the firstborn. And 
doesn't mention an angel at all. So some of those things we get in our heads and hear a story and believe it's in there, and it's not. Uh, so the Bible doesn't talk about a death angel. The only thing close that might uh, be more comforting than thinking of an angel coming to uh, precipitate your death, I guess, is in Luke chapter 16, verse 22. Uh, it's a story about the beggar and Lazarus and the rich man. And listen to verse 22. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. Uh, so somehow angels do escort souls to heaven, I think. Uh, we don't have much other proof other than this, but uh, I like to think that's the way it happens. But the concept of a death angel that's coming to bring death uh, or something just not in the Bible, not a Bible concept at all. So uh, if I had to answer, is there an angel of death? The Bible doesn't say there is. <laughs> take a moment and talk about a, uh, visiting a Church of Christ near you. Uh, we are sponsored by the Churches of Christ and produced by the Church of Christ, and we like to mention a few folks that help us stay on the air. Uh, so let me mention a couple in central Kansas, South Central Kansas today. Uh, Sylvia and Isabel, small towns in Kansas, but uh, very supportive of Know Your Bible. Good groups of Christians in each of those towns. Uh, if you live in that town, those towns, you probably know some folks that attend the Church of Christ. If you do, tell them you heard about them. Tell them you watch Know Your Bible and appreciate the Bible teaching that you get. Uh, and thank them for helping support us. Of course, uh, anywhere you live in our viewing area, there's probably a Church of Christ pretty close to you, and you're invited to visit one anytime. Uh, you'll find a group of folks that think and study about the Bible a lot like we do, and you'd be warmly welcomed at any Church of Christ. Okay, a viewer has a question about the book of Job, and specifically a reference in there in cremation. Does Job 19, verses 25 through 27 mean that we shouldn't be cremated? <clears throat> well, I must confess I have not heard this. We get lots of uh, questions about cremation. I've never uh, heard this reference specifically. So let's look at it on the screen and examine it. I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand on the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes, I and not another, how my heart yearns within me. All right. Well, I, I think it's important, first of all, to understand that we don't ever want to get into the idea of proof texting, which means I have an idea in my mind, and I want to go find a Bible verse that supports that idea. The danger with that is we ignore the context of where Scripture falls in. Now, these two verses are in the Bible. Uh, three verses technically, and they are, it is being spoken by Joe. But, but to understand what the meaning is, we need to back up just a little bit. We understand that Job and the suffering that he went through, and he's going back and forth with his friends, and he's just, uh, he's just getting into his, his plight, his, his struggle. And he's saying things like, uh, verse 20, I am nothing but skin and bones. I have escaped only by the skin of my teeth. Have pity on my friends. Have pity for the hand of God has struck me. Uh, he's talking about his physical suffering that he's undergoing. And he's saying, I, I, I know that I'm suffering like this. But in spite of that, I understand that my Redeemer lives. 
uh, it really is a, a beautiful conclusion, and it doesn't have anything in the world at all to do with, with uh, cremation. Um, now, <clears throat> people drawing the conclusion that he says, well, I, in my flesh I will see God. Well, here's the danger of proof texting. Um, if you turn in your Bibles, and this will not be on your screen, but if you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, verse 50, the scripture there is clear. The Apostle Paul speaking on the subject of res resurrection. He says, I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. So Paul makes it clear that when we speak of the resurrection and we speak of heaven and, and eternity, all of those things are spirit and spiritual in nature, not fleshly. Uh, Jesus said God is spirit and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. Uh, so we, we get connected to the flesh. That's where the problem most people have with the idea of cremation. They think, well, if my body's burned up, uh, there will be no body to be resurrected and it won't be, God won't be able to, uh, resurrect me. Listen, if that were the case, there would be clear warnings in scripture, uh, to not be cremated. But that's simply not the case. Now, as we always tell people, uh, the Bible does not condone or condemn cremation. It just uh, simply says it doesn't, doesn't weigh in on the matter. Uh, we always tell people if you choose that decision, uh, make sure you discuss it with your family. Make sure everybody's clear about what you want done. But there's nothing that the Bible says concerning that and that, that would if, affect your eternity or the resurrection or anything like that. So I hope that clarifies. Always keep in mind context is key. Okay, good answer. Let me add one thing to that. I was thinking as you answered all that, Job wasn't an inspired writer. Mm -hmm. Job was yeah. a good man yeah. uh, that was dealing with some real bad problems, sure. and his friends were trying to tell him that you know God yeah. had forsaken him, and he said that even when I'm gone, he yep. said, I know I'm going to see God. Yep. So it's an expression of his faith, mm -hmm. uh, yep. his belief that, hey, God's going to resurrect me someday, yeah. uh, but he wasn't inspired. He didn't know all the details of how, and nobody really does sure, even. Sure. So yep. uh, consider the source in that context. Yep, that's, also, that's an important he's talking. Yep. Okay, here's an interesting question. Was Jesus a carpenter or a stonemason? Well, when I received that question, I thought, this is easy. I just answer carpenter, and we'll go on to the next question. Uh, but I've learned over all the years of Know Your Bible that if somebody asks something that sounds kind of unbelievable to me, uh, there's probably a reason. So I Googled Jesus stonemason, and sure enough, uh, there's some people that teach uh, that Jesus was a stonemason. Uh, there's a book out by some fellow that's thought this all through, and he's decided Jesus had to be a stonemason instead of a carpenter. Uh, and some people would say, well, the Bible says he's a carpenter. You're right. Matthew 13, 55, uh, the people, when Jesus went back to his hometown, they said, isn't this the carpenter's son? Okay. Uh, well, people that promote this stonemason idea say the word that's used there, the Greek word tekton, uh, which technically uh, meant a builder or a contractor even, a skilled laborer of some sort, and 
since there's so many stone houses in Palestine and not any wood houses, uh, he was probably a stonemason instead of a carpenter. Uh, okay, it's supposition that uh, doesn't matter one way or the other. Uh, he was a skilled craftsman of some sort, at least Joseph was, and he learned the trade uh, for a couple thousand years. Carpenter's been <laughs> what we assumed because of that translation, but uh, doesn't make much difference to me whether he was stonemason or a carpenter. He was the son of God. Uh, but there are some people that want to teach that and hold on to that, so I'm going to stick with carpenter, but there are some people teach stonemason. Okay. <laughs> All right, okay. Toby. All right. Well, uh, earlier you mentioned uh, the things that God hates when speaking about divorce, and a uh, viewer asked the question, what are the seven sins that Jesus despises? Well, <clears throat> um, specifically in Scripture, if you're looking for a reference, uh, there's not a, uh, a one that says Jesus despises this. There is one that's very well known that says uh, there are things that God hates. And the, that verse is found in Proverbs chapter 6, uh, verses 17 and um, verses 16 and following. Uh, there are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. Um, now, as Steve said on divorce, uh, those aren't the only things that he hates. Uh, obviously, there are other scriptures elsewhere, but those are that's a, a good list of things to avoid uh, for a person that's trying to live a godly life. And trying to do what God wants to be done is a good place to start is to not do the things he doesn't want and that he hates. Um, so they, it's a good summary. It's a good starting point. But there are other scriptures you can look at as well. So when you're looking at the scriptures, we want to keep in mind uh, that God has, uh, just like we talked about before, God has uh, his will, what he wants. And uh, when we depart from that either by doing things he never asked us to do or by not doing things uh, that he has asked us to do uh, that's when we get into the area of sin and evil and iniquity uh, but that's where the verse is found and uh, those are the, the seven sins that God hates so I hope that's yep. helpful um, re reducing it to a list is something we like to do. Absolutely. You know, we, yep. it, just tell me the <laughs> list. Uh, in fact, we say that sometimes about people wonder about the unforgivable sin. Yep. They want to know what it is. And some guy said there's two reasons they yeah. want to know that. One is they want to know uh, so they can avoid it. And the other one is just so they can do all the others but yeah. not do that one. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we like lists. Uh, but there's a number of places where it says these are things God hates. And if you think about it, there's ten commandments. Yeah. So he doesn't like any breaking any of those ten. And probably the best summary is he just hates sin. Yeah. Uh, so we can make any list we want. But some things do strike us as worse than others, perhaps. But sure. anyhow, that's a good list. All right. So we've got a trivia question we want to get answered before we quit today. Who was Adam's third son? And Genesis 4.25 tells us the answer that Eve had a boy named Seth uh, and replaced the, the one who had been killed by his brother. So Seth was the third son. Uh, then she obviously had other children after that, but Seth was his replacement for uh, Abel.
So, uh, about out of time. We can't squeeze any more questions in, but I want to make sure that uh, you know that you can use those numbers on the screen any time to get in touch with us, phone or the website. Let us know you'd like a course of the Bible studies, or if you've got a question that you'd like us to answer, uh, use the email and you'll get a lot faster answer. Uh, email's easier for us, and uh, we don't have to send it through the mail, so give that a try. We're glad you've been with us today. Glad you'll be back next week, we hope. Until then, you have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational, and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions, and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.